You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Uh, Good morning. Word of Life, it's great to see you. It's uh, wonderful to be in church this morning. So glad that you're able to come uh, make it. Um, there is a cultural phenomenon where you have um, science and literature and the arts collide, and it's known as the dad joke. And I have a few I'd like to share with you. I was on vacation last week, and if you're wondering what I was up to, here we go. What do you call a goldfish wearing a bow tie? Sophisticated. <laughs> it's only up from here. All right. Why was the calendar afraid? Its days were numbered. <laughs> All right. What did one wall say to the other wall? I'll meet you at the corner. What did the zero say to the eight? I like your belt. Now, that's a thinker. That's a thinker. Why shouldn't you trust stairs? They're always up to something. And how much does it cost to swim with sharks? An arm and a leg. All right, this is the last one. There'll be more another time, I promise. Why are jokes about elevators so hilarious? Because they work on so many levels. All right. Anyway, so we are um, in the middle of uh, our nine-week summer series that we've started doing, and this whole idea, it started, um, you know, Megan and I, we were talking about, um, you know, what we were going to sort of cover this summer, what we were going to look at, and what we thought would be helpful for the church, and we wanted to take the whole summer to kind of go through something, and through our conversation and through praying about it, we decided that we wanted to uh, present to the church a series and an idea about being set apart, and I think as believers and as people who may have been around church for a while, this idea of being in the world but not of the world, this idea of being different different from the world around us is a pretty familiar idea, but what does that really look like? And, you know, how can that be difficult, especially in 21st century America and, you know, all the challenges that come with it? And we thought that a great way to present it to the church and really even a challenge for the different speakers that we've got this summer is to present this idea of being set apart, about being different from the world we are in through the lens of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians 5. And so that's what we've been talking through and been going through the, the different fruits of the Spirit as outlined by Paul in Galatians. And it's really sort of contrasting the world that we find ourselves living in. In the world that we live in, there are promises and there's this, this a sense of normal. But the promises of the world and the sense of normal that we see in the world around us, the fruit of the world is not good. It's not leading to where it's promising it's going to lead. It's not fulfilling what it's saying it's going to fulfill. We have, world is filled with desperately unhappy people. It's filled with people that are desperate and people that are on the edge and people who don't know where hope is going to come from and people who don't know what life is going to look like this time next week and it's terrifying and all these different things that are going on. And the fruit of what the world is promising and the fruit of what is presented to you and to I as normal isn't good. And in contrast to the fruit of the world, Paul writes this, but the Holy Spirit, in contrast, this is different. This is something separate. This is not the same. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this idea of it being fruit that Paul is describing, it's this idea of fruit is kind of this natural production. If the Holy Spirit is at work in the heart of a believer, then this is naturally what will flow out of their life. This is the, the produce. This is what will naturally come. This will almost become instinctive in the life of a believer are these qualities that we've just read. To help us live set apart and distinct from the world around us, we're going to spend the summer looking at these nine descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe that the series is off to a strong start. So I was on vacation last week, but I was able to catch up with uh, Nick's sermon last week about patience. And the week before, um, Megan spoke about peace. And as part of the message, she explained that the fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament Greek is singular. It's not plural. So it's not nine different fruits. It's one fruit being described nine different ways. And so Megan used the analogy and the illustration of an apple. And she had a green apple up here. And she said that we could describe this apple as green. We could describe it as round, we could describe it as sweet, we could describe it as crunchy, and it's four different ways of describing the same fruit. And that's the same way that the nine you know, attributes and descriptions that Paul gives us is describing one fruit that is coming out of our lives. This is Paul's way of trying to help us understand if the Holy Spirit is active in the life of a believer, this is what will come out of our life. So today, we're going to be looking at the word kindness. Kindness. And this is one of the ways that we can describe the fruit of the Spirit, and kindness is one of the ways we can describe that outcome of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And kindness is one of those ways we can see, we can observe that the Holy Spirit is active because it affects the way we act and how we conduct ourselves. And I was wondering as I was getting ready for today, I wonder if we kind of listed, you know, this list of nine of all the different ones that are there, the, the word kindness, I wondered if this was the most forgettable of the nine? Is the word kindness the one that's easiest to overlook? Is kindness so simple and so ordinary that it doesn't strike us as exciting or impressive? I'm, uh, I'm constantly, uh, I'm going to be the only parent here that this is true for. I'm constantly telling my kids to be kind. Be kind. Be nice. Be kind. I'm sure I'm the only one. I'm going to make an assumption that the last time someone told you to be kind was when you were a kid. It's not generally the kind of thing we say to each other as grown-ups. Be kind, be kind. And I wonder if that sort of ties into this idea of this can feel childish or oversimplified or it can seem elementary. This idea of kindness is just forgettable. It's not as exciting as perhaps some of the other things on this list of nine that Paul gives to us. But with that in mind, I want to share a Bible verse that I believe strongly shows the importance of kindness. This is Romans uh, 2.4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? Talking about God's kindness. His kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. Now, this is the perspective of God's kindness, that the kindness and goodness of God is what causes us to want to leave our old ways behind and to abandon sin and to find hope in repentance and to change our value and priorities and repent or repentance, even though it's often thought as a negative word, it's often assumed and is synonymous with you know, accusation or guilt and shame. But to repent is to welcome change. To repent is to take the opportunity to leave the old behind and find new life in Jesus. It's to find that all that Jesus promised is indeed true. It's not a negative. To repent is full of hope. 
that the reality of today doesn't have to stay like this. That's the power of repentance. And when we learn about God's kindness and we experience God's kindness, it brings us to the certainty that we should leave behind sin and give up on the promises of the world and instead find new life in Jesus. The verse from Romans tells us that it's God's kindness that moves us towards true transformation. The power of God's kindness is life-changing. The power of God's kindness opens the door for us to find new life. God's kindness is not a sign of weakness or timidity, but it's proof of his love and compassion. The power of God's kindness is life-changing. Now, considering all of this, as I was getting ready for today, it caused me to wonder, if God's kindness is life-changing, as his followers, as people continuing the mission that Jesus started, does this mean for us that simply showing kindness has the potential to deeply impact people? Does our kindness have the potential to lead people to repent and begin a restored relationship with God? Could our kindness help people grow closer to God? Could God minister through our kindness to bring life change? If the Holy Spirit is at work in my life and is producing fruit, and that fruit can be described as kindness, does this kindness have the potential to change lives? At the very least, I think we should consider whether we have a, an understanding of the importance of kindness in our life. Have we underestimated how important kindness is? Now, in 140 days, we will be in this room having our Christmas Eve services. It's never too early to start Christmas shopping. I also have a joke. Why should you get dad a blanket for Christmas? Because he's the coolest. <laughs> now, Christmas, there is a 100% chance that in the Woodhouse, Megan and I will be watching It's a Wonderful Life and one of the Christmas Carol adaptations. I personally like the one with, you know, Picard. Has anyone seen that one? It was an old British one. Yeah, yeah, I really like that one. But anyway, there's a 100% chance we'll be watching It's a Wonderful Life and one of the Christmas Carol movies as a part of Christmas. Now, if you think about those two movies, they're movies, they're stories about George Bailey. He spent his whole life showing kindness to the people around him, and the whole point of the movie is to showcase that his, his lifestyle of kindness changed the fate of a town. And then you have A Christmas Carol where, you know, essentially three ghosts come and scare Scrooge straight. And what comes out of his life after that experience is extreme kindness. These stories of kindness, they register with us. We, we have these other stories about kindness, but we tell them or we retell them. Something about kindness, it, it sort of sticks with us. I have a list of people in my life, and there's a long list, but, you know, some really stood out to me as I was thinking about people that have shown me extreme kindness. There was one guy, his name's Tony. When I first got to um, my first church, I was a new Christian. I had more passion than common sense. I just knew that I loved Jesus. I knew that I loved God, and he just said to me, you know what? I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to give you a ride, and I'm going to drop you off home again after a small group. I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to help you out, and I'm going to answer your questions, and I'm going to hang out, and I'm going to be your friend. Man, it helped me out a ton. And then there was my first boss at the um, church where I first started working. And he gave me time and he gave me patience. And I'm telling you, I was a knucklehead. If you think I'm bad now, you should have seen me then. And he gave me patience and he was good to me. He was kind to me. He brought me in. And then I go to Bible college and another pastor said, you know what? I want you to intern with me. I want you to work closely with me. I want you to learn from me. I want you to come alongside me. And he would take me and do things like hospital visits and he'd teach me how to do sermon preparation and he would have me over his house and I would spend time with his wife and his family. And I got to know these people as just an extreme act of kindness and these people have made a massive difference in my life. And I believe that's true for every single person. 
If you speak to anyone and you ask them about their life, they will tell you of people who have shown them kindness. Maybe it was a coach that gave them extra special attention. Maybe there was a teacher that was really encouraging. Maybe there was a youth pastor that was there at the right time with the right words to say. But I believe if you speak to anybody, you will hear stories of extreme kindness making massive differences in the lives of people. It was um, not too long ago. Sadly, a member of the church who'd been a part of the church for a long, long time passed away, Mike McKeon. And we had the service here, and um, I was able to come and sit and be a part of the service. And what was amazing is there were six or seven people that came and they shared about how Mike made a difference in their life, about the way that he showed kindness. He made time for them. He was good to them. He went out of his way to help them. And it was incredibly moving. And I'm also going to say extremely confidently, there could have been a lot more people that could have gone up and said gracious words about Mike McKeon. But I think the, if we're going <laughs> to... Great man. A great man. And it was uh, the universal response from the people I spoke to after the service was, man, that was inspiring. To hear how Mike had been extremely kind, extremely kind, but to hear how it had made true life-changing difference in the lives of people, registered so strongly with everybody there. This, my friends, is the power of kindness. Colossians 3.12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's worth noting and worth pointing out here that Paul says, you must you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must. It's an imperative. You have a responsibility. So the first thing I'd ask you to write down if you're taking notes today is that followers of Jesus have a responsibility to be kind. Followers of Jesus have a responsibility to be kind. Being rude, abrasive, impolite, intimidating, it's contrary to the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And what does salt do? Simply, salt makes things better. When added to food, it brings out the flavor. In ancient times that Jesus was speaking to, it was often used as a preservative for meat. It was also used in medicine and was used as a healing quality. Salt makes things better. Your kindness makes things better. We all have a responsibility to be the reason someone senses the good in life. The word kindness is simple. Everyone here, we know exactly what kindness means and what kindness looks like. We've all experienced kindness, and we've all seen a lack of kindness. We've all had moments where we have shown kindness to people, and we've had moments where we should have shown kindness to people. Kindness in our words, making time for someone, being generous when we can, noticing someone on the outside. And if nothing else today, I hope each of us goes home and goes into this week with a renewed awareness that kindness is not something incidental or secondary or childish, but it has the potential to be life-changing. In getting ready for this week, I wrote down four things about kindness that I hope will be helpful. First thing, kindness shows strength. Kindness shows strength. It's not simply being nice and out of curiosity this week, I looked up the word nice in the Bible, and I was interested to find that some English translations don't even have the word nice in the Bible. The ones that do, um, nice is, I'm, I'm hesitant to say always, but in the translations I looked at, it was always negative. 
It was almost like it looks nice, but really it's rotten. Like negative connotations of the word nice. I remember when I was in school, in English class, we were told that we weren't allowed to use the word nice as an adjective in our writing because it was too common, it was too weak and too watery. And it's wrong to conflate nice with kind because kind requires strength. To use your words to be kind means you believe your words carry weight. To help someone to be kind means believing that you have the ability to make things better. To kindly offer advice means believing that you've learned important things that you're able to pass on. To give a gift, to be kind, means sharing something valuable. If we don't feel that we have anything valuable to offer, if we don't feel that we have anything worthwhile, if we feel that we're weak, then we don't have anything to offer and we, don't, we withhold. If you don't think your words matter, or you don't have the ability to help, that you haven't learned anything worth passing along or that you don't have anything worth sharing, you'll end up withholding kindness from people. To have a warm and friendly attitude and disposition means you believe that your attitude changes the atmosphere in a room. To be kind is to believe that you have the ability to make a difference. And it's definitely not a sign of weakness or being a pushover. Possibly the guy that, as I was thinking about this, the kindest person that came to my mind is um, a friend of ours. He went to a church where Megan and I pastored previously. But he's a business owner, and he was a successful business owner, and he was tough with his employees. We got a job to do, we're going to do it, and we're going to do it right. And he was extremely successful as a business owner. He was no pushover. Like, if it's business time, we're going to go get it. We're going to get it done. He was tough with his employees. But the moment one of those employees needed help, the whole world stopped. And he made sure they got whatever they needed. The moment anyone in our church needed someone to come through, he was there. When there was a single mom in our church that couldn't afford to pay rent, he just wrote a check and paid for the rent for the year. Kind, kind man. But nothing about this was a pushover. But it was a realization that you're strong enough. If you're strong enough to make a difference, then there's that weight of responsibility to make a positive difference. The realization leads to responsibility, but kindness, it requires strength. Second thing, kindness is active. Kindness is active. No one's life is changed because of kind intentions. No one's life is changed because of a kind theory or a kind idea. Kindness is active. Here's a few verses from James 2. I'm highlighting just a few verses from a much longer passage, but James 2.14 what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now for years, if someone asked me about this passage, I, I kind of fumbled through an answer and found it difficult to explain this. Teaching from James can appear to contradict what other teaching from the New Testament says, that salvation is by faith alone and that confidence in works and depending on our good works is futile. But the promise of salvation, the promise of being saved and rescued and anticipated into a restored relationship with God, it's entirely because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. The promise of an eternity with him in heaven, that promise of salvation is realized by faith alone and not in our works or in our own effort to achieve what only Jesus could achieve on the cross. So how can this teaching coexist in the New Testament? Well, probably about a year ago, I saw a video on YouTube by a pastor called Mike Winger that presented a, an important insight. So the faulty way to read this passage 
kind of got a math equation for you, is faith plus works equals salvation. This is the wrong way to understand this passage. It's a faulty way to read it. A better way and a more accurate way to read it is that faith equals works plus salvation. Faith equals works plus salvation. Now, this is a massive change in the equation. The natural outcome of faith is most definitely salvation, an eternity secured by Jesus. But not only is our eternity rescued, but our hearts, minds, character, perspective, values, priorities, and decisions are all rescued and restored. In essence, faith changes our actions. Faith changes our works, our outward behavior. It's changed. Our eternity and salvation are not dependent on our works, but just as our faith results in salvation, faith motivates and causes good works. Continuing and coming to faith brings incredible change in our character. Being born again is not a careless slogan. It describes the spiritual transformation and the renewing that happens. That's why faith equals works plus salvation. Faith will produce the works and good deeds in our lives. Faith will lead us to welcome the Holy Spirit being active in our hearts. Faith will motivate us to live differently. Faith will cause us to desire and care about the fruit of the Spirit overflowing, not just on occasions, but on a daily basis. Faith will inspire kindness to naturally flow out of us in our day-to-day lives. Remember that teaching from Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. When you walk in the room, do people take a deep breath or do they light up? Are people glad they had an encounter with you or are they relieved that you left? Do you lift the atmosphere or drain the energy in a room? Do you care about your attitude? Do you consider how you're making people feel? For kindness to have a positive impact, it can't just stay an idea, it needs action. Third thing, everyone doing okay so far? All right, third thing, kindness opens relationships. Kindness opens relationships. A few verses from the book of Proverbs. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Now let me repeat that last part. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Being kind and having a reputation for being kind, it opens up relationships. Being kind, it builds trust and respect, and these are basic elements for building relationships and friendships. I had a friend of mine who was a a pastor of a a very large church. He was an associate pastor, and one of his responsibilities is that whenever they had a guest speaker come to town, he was going to go to the airport, and he was going to sort of drive them around um, as long as they were staying in the city. And so one uh, one time he picked up a pastor. I am not going to say this person's name. Please don't ask me afterwards but it's a pastor that most of you will have heard of. Some of you may even listen to his podcast religiously. And he picked up this guy, and I said to my buddy, I was like, what was he like? And my buddy just went off on a tirade about what an awful person he was. Rude, mean, inconsiderate, entitled, all these things. Ever since my friend told me that, I can't listen to this guy. I, I don't want to buy your book. I don't want to watch your YouTube page. I don't care about your church's worship album. I'm not, I just, now maybe that says a lot about me and about the fact that I need to get over myself and this guy having one bad day shouldn't be enough for me to write him off and that's fine, I'll take that criticism. 
but I can't get over it. I just, you're rude to my friend. This guy was picking you up at the airport, helping you out, and you're not even gracious and courteous and kind. Like, I, I just, I can't reconcile that. On the flip side, another big name pastor my buddy picked up was Louis Giglio. Now, Louis Giglio, very, you know, very you know, well-known pastor. He you know, pastors a great big church in Atlanta. He's written a number of, um, you know, popular books. He did that indescribable tour a few years ago. My buddy picked him up, and I was like, dude, what was he like? And he was like, oh, my gosh, the best guy you've ever met in your life. Kind, gave him his cell phone number, was just so interested in the fact that my buddy was a young guy in ministry and was like, hey, what are you thinking? What is it going? How's it going? What's been the most difficult things? Okay, what do you think about that? Just, just so generous with his, you know, just thoughts and wanting to talk to my friend and get to know my friend and build a relationship and all these things. Like, what a difference. What a difference. So as you can tell, my respect for Louis Giglio went through the roof. But it's trust and respect. That's what kindness builds. Kindness, it builds trust and respect. And these are basic elements of relationships. Being rude or unkind, it shuts down relationships. The pastor who was rude to my friend is the nicest guy in the world in public. Celebrities are all smiles on the red carpet and when the cameras are on, but then the stories of diva behavior comes out. Being rude and abrasive and difficult, it kills relationships. It destroys respect. It destroys trust. And we can never forget that we have a mission. Word of life and every other church on earth has a mission. And it's the same mission that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And that's to establish the kingdom of God here on earth is to make disciples. And my friends, it is heartbreaking to think about how many times I've heard someone feeling pushed away from church because someone in the church was a jerk. And I'm not just talking about pastors or staff, simply rude people sitting in pews. The amount of times I've spoken to someone who's left the church, not because of a, of a theological difference, not because of a crisis of faith, not because of any great scandal, but someone was rude. Someone didn't think about their words. Someone got involved in something that wasn't their business. Someone wanted to be the voice of correction. This matters. There are people who should be in church this morning who aren't because a fellow believer didn't show basic, simple, entry-level kindness. This matters. There are times when we have failed in our mission simply because we have failed to show kindness. We need to take this seriously, and we should care about this. Some challenging words from Jesus that may be especially appropriate this morning. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. First thing we talked about is kindness shows strength. Second thing, kindness is active. Third, kindness opens relationships. And fourthly, kindness reflects Jesus. Kindness reflects Jesus. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit this summer and what's produced in our life. If the Holy Spirit is active and cultivating our character and transforming our hearts and minds. But another thing to think about is that everything in this list, all of those nine qualities that Paul points to, all the ways that he describes the fruit of the Spirit, they could accurately be used to describe Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As you read the Gospels, you'll see consistently that these qualities are embodied and perfectly demonstrated in Jesus. A great example of how Jesus treated the people everyone knew were sinners. How Jesus treated people that everyone else looked down on shows perfectly how he embodies these qualities. The tax collectors and the prostitutes were often described as the worst of the worst. And in Matthew 9, 9, we read this. 
As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, disreputable sinners is a polite euphemism for prostitute. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, that question is abrasive to us, and it stands out, but try and put yourself in the position of the people in the first century. These are the people that everyone else looked down upon. These are people whose sin was known publicly. The tax collectors, these are people who decided they were going to abandon their culture, they were going to abandon their religion, they are going to abandon their heritage, they're going to turn their back, they're going to burn all the bridges, and they're going to chase the possibility of making a quick buck by being a tax collector. And then you had the prostitutes that had got to the point in life where they were so desperate to just make ends meet, just desperate. Likely, prostitutes oftentimes were widows in the first century, and they were just desperate to feed their children, and so they did whatever they could do, and it was the only option they felt that they had. And these two groups of people were looked down upon, they were despised, and they were judged, and they were criticized, and they were, they were rejected. So this question, why does your teacher eat with such scum? It's not completely out of place. It's shocking to us, but it's not a shocking question. Jesus is having dinner with the worst of the worst. The familiarity of dinner, it's, it's the highest form of approval you can get. And here we see when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Why is this guy that you're following, why is he showing kindness to the worst of the worst? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Jesus had an incredible, and in my estimation, a unique ability to confront sin and at the same time have his love and his kindness remain at the center of everything. Jesus was extremely confrontational. He spoke with assertiveness and authority, but his love and compassion was undeniable. And consequently, sinners ran to him. Sinners wanted to be around him. The example for us, show kindness without hesitation and without qualification. Showing kindness does not mean we're endorsing or supporting sin. Showing kindness is not compromising our stance or our principles. Kindness is not encouraging people to sin. Kindness is not endorsing people's bad behavior. If it were, then we would have to accuse Jesus of encouraging sin, and of course, we know that he would never do that. This is far much more than just being nice to people or being a friendly person. We're talking about our kindness being reflective of Jesus Christ and everything we've talked about so far is fully embodied on the cross. This was a thought as I was getting my thoughts down on paper. This was almost the last thing that I put down here. It didn't occur to me until I'd nearly finished, but we talked about strength. And this is shown on the cross because Jesus had the power and the ability to stop his trial, to get out of his imprisonment, to avoid the beating and to get off the crucifixion at any time. He had the power to do that, but he went through it. He demonstrated strength on the cross by going through it for you and for me, even though it looked like weakness. We talked about kindness being active. But Jesus asked the Father in Gethsemane, if there's any other way, let's do that. And the Father's like, nope, you gotta, we gotta do it. It needs to happen. It's gonna take some action. We can't just sit here and wish the sins of the world to be defeated. It took you going to the, takes Jesus going to the cross. We talked about opening up relationships. The cross is the ultimate example. 
the restoration of the broken relationship between God and humanity. And it brings us right back to Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? This kindness embodied on the cross, this kindness of Jesus who had the strength to get out of it, but his strength was really demonstrated by sticking it out and going through it for you and for me. We talk about being active and this kindness being shown on the cross that Jesus didn't just, just sit there and just wish for this to happen. He did, it wasn't just some theory or some idea, but no, I've got to go to the cross. There was action. That's how kindness is shown on the cross. We talked about kindness opening up relationships and the devastated relationship between God and humanity being reconciled because of the cross. It's life-changing. Ephesians 4, 20, uh, 32. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Faith changes how we conduct ourselves. The Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and the fruit that comes from those changes, and it, it shifts how we live our lives. When we wake up and realize that the creator of the universe loves us, it changes our attitude. I can be impatient, I can be argumentative, I can get angry, I can get busy. And I have felt so challenged this week to consider if I'm showing the kindness that I should. Am I taking responsibility to be kind to people that I see wherever I go? I hope so, and I wanna get better. How many people would describe the world as kind? And at the same time, how many people would describe the church as kind? For the church to earn a reputation for kindness, we need the Holy Spirit to move in the hearts of believers and bring more out and more and more fruit of the Spirit to be active. For the church to deserve a reputation for being kind, it'll take the people within the church being kind, not only to each other on Sunday, but in every room we walk into and consistently in every interaction we have. The world can be mean-spirited and cruel and selfish and critical and aggressive and petulant and bitter and unforgiving. But Jesus says, among you, it will be different. Now you will absolutely, with no doubt at all, have hundreds of opportunities to put this into practice this week. At home, work, with friends at the store. Just going about your day-to-day -day unexciting responsibilities, you will have a chance to show kindness. You will have the chance to say something uplifting. You will have the chance to refrain from saying something insensitive or upsetting. You will have the opportunity to help someone for 20 minutes. You will have the chance to thank someone that feels overlooked. You will have the chance to be generous. You will have an opportunity to share an insight from a painful lesson you learned and maybe spare someone else the pain you went through. You will have the opportunity to show the basic, simple type of kindness that has the potential to change lives. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon doesn't play around. Proverbs eleven seventeen, your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. Have we underestimated the importance of kindness in our lives? My friends, just as Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Kindness shows strength. Kindness is active. Kindness opens relationships. Kindness reflects Jesus. And the kindness of Jesus is perfectly embodied on the cross. And as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility
to be kind. I've got a couple of questions for you. If you're in the habit of taking notes, writing these down, I suggest you do. Give you something to think about and pray about this week and possibly even talk over with somebody. But the first thing I'd say to you is, do you think about showing kindness as a responsibility? I know I didn't until I got ready for this weekend. Do you think about showing kindness as a responsibility? The second question I put to you is what would change if you consistently showed more kindness? Just think about it. Just consider that possibility. Just daydream a little bit. What would change if you consistently showed more kindness? I ask you to stand with me and I'm going to pray and we're going to go back into a moment of worship. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Lord, I hope that you've spoken to your people this morning that something from this message, one of the Bible verses that were shared, but something will stick, that showing that kindness, that kindness that comes from the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, that that would be life-changing for people. And the Lord, that we would see it as a responsibility. We wouldn't dismiss it as being infantile or secondary or forgettable, but Lord, we would see the true value and the true importance of being kind. We believe as we reflect you in our kindness that we will see people's lives changed. And Lord, I hope and I pray that our church would have a reputation for being a kind group of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's spend some more time in worship together.